Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Focal Collective Podcast. We have on deck um, Wayfaring.Professional, Alex Kwan. And he recently changed his username on Instagram to underscore Alex Kwan. But I feel like, uh, Alex, welcome to the show. Do, do you think people remember you more as Wayfaring Professional? Or, or do you think you've really established yourself in your community as being like your name rather than your handle? I think that was part of like my reasoning behind it was like, I didn't want to be known as just like this random, like online alias, you know? So I would hope now that people kind of just know me as like, you know, me, like an actual person, you know, that's like behind this profile. So we'll see. Yeah, no, that that's totally like, I, I can empathize with that. It's one of the reasons I, I've always kept, on Instagram anyway, like my handle is my name. Yeah. And I didn't want it's to always go. been like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark, Mark oh. was on the right track for sure. Yeah. But it didn't used to be that. I just changed it. I guess like three years ago now it used to be not a Sherpa, whatever that means. <laughs> what does that mean? What? <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel not, like not a Sherpa. Not a Sherpa. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I feel like, um, I don't know. Cause like it's a, it's kind of an extension of yourself. So I feel like we always kind of start out with like, for me, like that's kind of what I like aspired to be, right? Like in a literal sense, like I, I wanted to like travel and like do creative stuff professionally. And then when I feel like I when I felt like I achieved it, like I was like I don't really have a use for this anymore. So I kind of just want to be myself. And I think that's like what you know the goal should be is, is not to be someone else. It should, it should just to be your, your own genuine self. So it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy and you made it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, uh, hmm. that's sick. I feel like now, now what's my self-fulfilling prophecy? If I'm just going to stay Mike Lindell all the time, then I, I can't like, you're already there. Like, aspire. I hope so. <laughs> oh that's pretty cool i, I want to hear more about not a sherpa i, I don't really get that I, I honestly i don't know where i came up with that name i used to be and this is way back when everybody still used aol instant messenger um i was not able to get mike lindell there there are many more of us out there which is kind of scary just to think about on the side but my uh, username used to be may cause fiesta I like that. Yeah. It has nothing to do with <laughs> photography. It has nothing to do with anything. It was just like me being like a 12 year old or 14 year old or whatever. And just thinking well, that that was a thing. <laughs> see, Instagram didn't exist when I was 14. The internet was barely a thing when I was 14. Yeah. Wait, how That's old are you, Mark? Crazy. 37. Nice. The, the questions, the questions oh, that matter nice. <laughs> brought to you by Focal Collective Podcast. <laughs> hey, it's important stuff. It is. No, it definitely is. So kind of going off of Alex, your aspiration to be that traveling professional, I believe I met you. We were like at an Instagram meetup in San Francisco and you were actually trying to head out to uh, Yosemite to see Horsetail Falls for the firefall. What what happened with that, and why did you decide to stay in the city? Dang, uh, I, I I totally forgot that that was like the reason for that trip. 
Um, I think it was because uh, the weather turned for the worse. So like there was like zero possibility of that firefall happening. And, and then I remember going or, or hearing about like a meetup in San Francisco, a photography meetup. And I think I heard it through uh, Andrew, Andrew Optics. And, um, and then, yeah. And then you and I eventually linked up and we were shooting with a bunch of other people. We met like, yeah, it was like Michael Morales and Dan Devong. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did that like a, like a day before the actual meetup. Was that, the, that was before this is like bringing, yeah, I think, I think that was the day before. Like you and I both still have photos that have are just sitting on a hard drive from that, and it was I feel like that was like a year ago. Oh God, that's true. Yeah, like I I've barely touched any of those shots. It's so sad. That feels like a lot longer than a year ago. That was last February. Okay, thirteen months ago, maybe approaching fourteen months. Was it February? It was February. Yes. Got it. Well, yeah, that's on the fire a little bit more than a year ago. Because you just, you yeah, just you're right. that influx of Firefall pictures. They got a good one this year. Oh, my. It was it was so nice. Like One of our uh, contributing writers gave us a little blurb and a couple shots from his experience at Firefall, and it, it just looked spectacular, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. My, my enthusiasm to catch it has died down a lot just because it's one of those, like, kind of, like, over not overhyped like it's still a beautiful event but it's just such a crowded spectacle now i feel like but not only that man like you also need to snowshoe through like almost unmarked hiking trails to get to the the really good vantage points you know you have to go off-roading a little bit you have to prep for for the very very cold weather because it's february in yosemite the firefall also only happens when there's been enough snowfall to accommodate the snow melt to then fuel and feed the river, which then falls off of uh, the face of El Capitan. Yeah, I mean, I'm, but, I'm I'm cool with like working for the shot. I actually prefer that. I don't. I I hate like you know driving up somewhere and pulling up and and not really feeling like I earned the shot. You know. So I'm fine with that. It's just like so many people go after that shot, right? I know. I mean, it's kind of similar to uh, we were hiking out in the Faroe Islands doing the the Dragoneer hike. And we started at just like before sunrise. And we had these insanely high-powered winds, like a hailstorm and rainstorm blew in over us while it was still dark. Um, and then the full moon was peeking out of the clouds at various moments. And I just remember, like, I think you said it or, or maybe Ty, uh, Captivate, the other guy that was with us, said it. Just like, fuck this. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was probably it was cold. It was windy. It may have been you. I didn't want to I don't want to call you out too much on it, but it was tough. You know, it's challenging to, to face these elements. And uh, I mean, you can call me out on it. I was a bitch. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> that, that broke it. Yeah, you were like, I'm never doing landscape photography again. <laughs> no, I was like, I'm never coming to the Faroe Islands again. I, like, I oh, hate man. this. <laughs> well, you remember like, like day one we were there. Uh, we go to that one waterfall. The name is escaping me. But I walked down 
the steps and I slip on a rock and I just hit my thigh and I got one of the largest bruises I've ever had in my life. And like, you guys didn't see it until like day two or day three. And you guys were like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, whatever. Like you bruised your leg, get over it. And I was like, it was disgusting. check this out. Yeah. And it was like rotting inside of my thigh. <laughs> I saw your face just like turn and you were like, oh my God. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. And I was like, I know. I was like, yeah, I didn't just bruise my leg. I mean, I did just bruise my leg, but it was like more than just a normal thing. It was like, you know, I feel like any amount more and my like femur would have broken. It was How many days were you guys there? Six. Six days. Was six days, is that too much or not enough for a pharaoh? Because it looks pretty small to me. It was. I have no sense of the actual place. I think it was enough time. It was probably the perfect amount of time. I was going to say the same thing. There are so many nooks and crannies of the Faroe Islands that like everything is photographic, everything is photogenic, and a lot of the views are kind of similar, and a lot of the landscape colors are very similar. We got lucky because halfway through the trip, it just started snowing a lot. So like the first half was all the scenery without snow, all the deep greens. The second half were like these very alien looking snow capped mountains. So I, I think that kind of blew second wind into the trip because everything just looked completely different. It looked like it was snow, um, that's for sure. Yeah. But then there were still some areas that we didn't have enough time to get to. Really? Like, How yeah, big are they? Uh, I mean, again, the Faroe Islands are not very big. It's a small Danish archipelago uh, between Iceland and Norway, right? I think it's only a chain of like seven I like sub islands. They're all very small. A lot of them are connected by underground rock tunnels. You, that's how you get between islands? Yeah, isn't that weird? Like you literally drive in your car in an underground tunnel. Not all the islands are connected like that, but I think most of them with a couple, we had a couple ferry rides. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I would say I would recommend like around that time frame, just not at the time of year that we went. Because it was it's like just, it just looks like such an ordeal to get there. Yeah, it was actually not too bad. I mean, Alex, we were on part of a larger trip where, as soon as I found out that you were going to the Faroe Islands, I was just like, I don't care what I need to do to get there, but this has been a bucket list thing for me for a very long time. Let's go do it. I didn't realize at first that it came with this whole like four week backpacking gallivant across like some of the hot spots in Europe, which was totally fun. You know, it, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. We, we hit Except a lot for of when really, I got sick. like beautiful. Yeah. That was a bummer, man. You, uh, you caught this like really bad cold cough fever in Berlin. We were in Berlin for like three and a half days. And I think two and a half of those days you were out of commission watching Rick and Morty from the Airbnb we were sharing. <laughs> yeah. That was great. <laughs> Which I'm kind of jealous of. Like I only catch Rick and Morty episodes every once in a while. I've never seen all of them. And I was just like, damn it. I really want to just like sit and watch Rick and Morty and do yeah, nothing. I mean, it wasn't ideal because you're traveling and you're, it kind of feels like a waste of time, but I definitely learned to like, you got to like take care of yourself on the road. Cause I'm always, you For know, sure. like, you know how those trips go. You, you just like go and you, you're like just bouncing from place to place and and you you want to like pack in as much as you can but 
that was my body's way of just being like, no, you need to do this and just not move for a little bit, especially after the Yeah. It must have been like that, a combination that, of exhaustion and then I don't know what, maybe I did catch something after, after Pharaoh. I mean, you definitely had a fever, right? We were, uh, we were picking up medication for you at some pharmacies and stuff. I, I do remember that. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It wasn't pleasant though. How, how sad gallivanting around Europe and you get a little fever. It must be rough. <laughs> dude, it was. So it's a rough life out here. I was like, Mike, I was like, oh, I've just been like laying in bed. Like I couldn't move at all. Like I've never, I never have been like sick like that. It was kind of weird. You know? Oh yeah. You might've caught yeah, something. Usually like I'm the type of person that will just be like, if I'm sick, and I'm able to move, like, I'll, I'll just push through it, especially when I'm traveling, like, I'm going to make the most of that time. But I, like, yeah, that, that happens to me yeah. a lot. Like, sometimes I'm just traveling on the road. Uh, on average, over the last year and a half, I've been on two flights a week. So I, I travel a lot. Um, sometimes my body just gets in these states of like, reject everything, you are sick. And it's usually right around allergy season. So it's almost like, I think there was a period for like two or three months where I just kept jumping between different cities, different fertile cities that had different sets of pollen at different times. So I was like going to LA for like a month. I was like going back to Denver for like a month. I was going to San Francisco for a month and each city in a staggered way all had similar pollen, like high pollen counts at like whenever I was in each of the destinations and it just drove me crazy. Yeah. Allergies suck. They're terrible. I used to never have allergies until I moved to Washington, D.C. And then four years, I guess six years of living in D.C., the first four years I had really bad allergies. Year five and six, I had no allergies again. It was very strange. So, Alex, was this your uh, your goal to be able to travel and do photography? Yeah. Um, like I said, like my my literal you know, username was, was exactly that. It's always, it's always kind of the, the, the like dream versus reality, you know? So like, I I learned that like, when you're like traveling and shooting all the time and, you know, kind of just living, living that pipe dream is, is great. And it was great for a while, but then you kind of realize that there, there needs to be a little bit more purpose behind it. So, and I, I've talked to Mike a lot about this, uh, whenever we get a chance to catch up, but, um, I think I learned that like, you know, it's, it's great to, to have the opportunity to travel and to really just dive into your hobby. But there's a lot that kind of goes on behind the scenes that, um, especially like reaching out to brands, right? Like getting, getting into these like campaigns for, for actual work there's a lot that like goes on behind the scenes. And then once you actually land a project like that, you know, it's, it's work. It's, there's, there's like, oh, yeah, there's like, yeah. there's nothing really that different from doing that work because it's different once you have expectations and like a brief and deliverables, you know, that there's, there's that same pressure that you feel from work, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it definitely changed 
kind of my perspective on it because that at that point it's not a hobby anymore you know this is stuff that you have to deliver on it's not like oh i can take a ton of pictures and then you know at my leisure post instagram or something like that or share it it's now i have deadlines and this is a project that i am responsible and accountable for yeah you have deadlines or your rent doesn't get paid or yeah, whatever. Yeah, now yeah, especially those types of pressures too now like Yeah, it definitely changed and I I struggled for sure. I still I still am kind of in like a weird spot where I'm like yeah, this is it definitely changed things. But is it still fun? Yes. So, I mean, I I I took a little break once once uh we got back from uh from all these travels and it was just a mindset change I think that needed to happen. And mm-hmm. yeah, now I definitely, cause, cause once, once you make your hobby, your profession, you kind of have to find another hobby to like fill that void, you know, that photography used to fill for me. And so, yeah, it's just, you got to find another balance, you know? What have yeah. you been filling your time with? as that other like now you are working full-time photography what's your what's your hobby like power lifting or jogging or something <laughs> uh, I just get yoked, getting yoked. <laughs> i actually was uh planning on getting back in the gym i used to work out a lot um before i started photography because photography was what got me out and like you know we're like we're like climbing things and just like running around all day, like 15,000 steps a day sort of thing, just taking pictures. And that's like a huge workout and on top of like carrying that background. But yeah, I've, I've wanted to get back into like a routine of like getting in the gym, like making that like purely just focusing on my health rather than relying on it through what I do normally. And then like, I don't know, I've always, I've always been a gamer. I just play like video games, watch films, all sorts of- yeah, it's interesting that you mention um, needing to take a break, needing to rest and take care of yourself. Because I, I know like you said you were feeling a little burnt out after the whole trip. Um, just so everybody knows, like Alex and I for four weeks traveled through. Uh, we flew into London. Then we went to Faroe Islands, Paris, Berlin, Copenhagen and back to London. That order may have been jumbled a little bit, but those were kind of the hot spots. After that trip, Alex, you continued and you backpacked Asia for another month and hung out with some of your family. Yeah. Well, I came I came home to Chicago for a week and I I picked up some gigs. Um mostly like freelancing with Airbnb, so I was shooting like interiors. So I picked up as much as I could and before I left so I could make a, a little bit of extra money. And then yeah, I went back to Asia for five weeks. Um, when I probably, I probably should have rested because, you know, I was like, I was like sick and then a little bit better after Europe, but you know, you kind of just got to do it. Where in Asia? Well, I started in, uh, Beijing and kind of weaved my way down to Southern China. So from Beijing to Shanghai, stayed with my friend, Brian Ho. His handle is Bow Biscuit, um, super talented guy. And then 
weave my way down to Guangzhou. Uh, actually, my mother was, she still is actually living there. So um, I, I was lucky enough to have like a place to stay down there. And then I hopped over to some of the scenic areas. Like um, it's super beautiful in Southern China. Like you may have seen some images from the Guilin area and Yangshuo. So it's like those giant, like rounded mountains, kind of that you. Those are the the Avatar mountains. Oh right. right. <laughs> well, well, like the av- there's the Avatar mountains, which is like those giant like pillars, like that are out of that movie Avatar, or, or that James Cameron got like his inspiration for in Avatar. And then there's there's um there's the area you might have seen like the fishermen photos where like they have like the fishermen and the birds on like the the little um like old-fashioned rafts with like the land. yeah the the staged photos that tourists can now yeah buy. those are all tourist attractions they're not they're not um real which i learned yeah we talked we talked a little bit about that on the last episode uh what are your thoughts on all that how does that how does that play into like the cultural excursion and the sense of exploration that comes with traveling i don't know man i was i was actually kind of bummed to learn that like I I went there partially because um, it was like a place I really wanted to see. And then I kind of, I also wanted to chase after like, uh, like a really unique local moment. Right. But yeah, I learned that, you know, the, the, the other, the other experience is the, the farmer with the ox and yeah, my, my, my mom was able to get in contact with a, with like the local he actually owns like a hotel there and runs these tours and he he she was able to set up one of those tours with the ox and the farmer for me and it just it doesn't it doesn't feel right like you guys as photographers probably also know this like it's just when you're when you're sitting there and someone is just kind of going through the motions and posing for you especially something that's supposed to be like a like an authentic moment it just doesn't feel there's no fulfillment there it's just like you're t- you're just taking pictures right so it yeah, was yeah. yeah it was it was kind of an eye opening experience i was like oh i I've, I've been like duped like i definitely bought into that like when i first saw it on instagram i was like damn that is so cool and then i like saw it and i was like oh this guy's this is no different for me like running around Chicago with like a friend of mine and, and kind of asking her to just like do different poses. Right. Like this farmer was, was literally just like, yeah. um, speaking to me in Chinese, obviously, but like, he was like, yeah, what do you want me to do? Like, do you want me to walk across the bridge or like do, do something with the ox or something like that? And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't want you to do anything. I kind of want you to just like <laughs> farm. <laughs> like quick, do something yeah, authentic, go, like, right? you know, live your life do your do your daily routine like that's what i want to see but yeah it was it was just work for him that's crazy yeah it is really no different than touring the hot spots with uh your local instagram yeah. model right no i think there's a difference i mean well, I one of them is an old like fox uh i'm sorry uh an ox herder and one of them is like an instagram model so there is a difference no, but when you're presenting it to the public, when you're acting like you caught caught someone out 
right. farming or whatever. Oh, I That's see. a lot different than taking an obvious portrait, like you're presenting it in a totally false way right? when you're doing the, the It's like thing. a false sense of authenticity versus yeah. like right. taking portraits. I think that's the, the main issue I have with it is like, if, you know, I have those photos and if I ever share them, I'm, I'm not going to be like, oh, I, I caught this guy going about his daily life, right? Like it's, that's not, that would be dishonest of me to portray it that way. And I think that's what Mark's trying to say. Yeah, there's a guy that won some ph- photograph of the year or whatever. It was from the area in China, and he'd won $120,000 or something. And then these photos came out where there's like 30 people standing around this oh, woman yeah. carrying a baby, and they're all taking the exact same shot. Yeah, I think that's um, – I, I, It might not have been China, Malaysia. but yes, yeah. I feel like it may have been. Okay, I, okay. I know exactly what you're, the situation you're talking about, though. And, and yeah, like – yeah, like that's complete fraud. It is, yeah, especially for and that that's all part of. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go for it, Alex. Uh, no, I was just saying, like that's that's like the main issue I had with it, which is why I was like, I said I was like, kind of disenchanted by it because like I wanted I wanted to like kind of own one of those moments, and I think like as you practice photography right you're you're always trying to look for something that's super unique and can't be replicated and that's kind of the idea i had i was like oh i'm gonna like experience something that's that's gonna be totally authentic and something that like i can kind of bring back and be like yeah like i i was there to capture this moment but it, it wasn't like a moment it was just it was just uh, literally like a set, like a production set. It's difficult to catch to capture the old world charm in, I guess, a modern era, yeah. right? And and something that I'm thinking back to is when we were able to meet up with our new friends Athena and Fred in Paris. That was a very authentic moment. They brought us onto two yeah. different rooftops, and we had some really gorgeous views of the Sacre Coeur, the Eiffel Tower at, at these two different locations, you know, that has allowed us to pursue these more authentic moments. They're just, they don't have the old world charm, but the old world charm is, is a tourism industry. Yeah. Especially in Asia. The thing, the thing about Asia too, is um, they have, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but like um, there's a lot lower standards for like honesty in certain industries and so like i know i know like a lot of locals there don't probably view that sort of tourist attraction as as you know like disingenuine or anything like that right their moral code may be a little misaligned with the united states yeah. moral code or it's like it's like okay. here like you would go to like i don't know like a navajo tribe and 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 like sell those as authentic right it's the same thing but um, yeah i guess we see a lot less of that here because there's you know a a very very sad history with that and that's not something that we're trying to glorify well i'm trying to draw a parallel like with with like an old way of like living right and what i'm trying Mm -hmm. to say is that the culture over there is that they don't have any problem with doing that 
I mean, obviously, like that's why they that's why it's still a thing. It, it's um, they they don't like for them. It, it kind of changed their lifestyle, right? Like that's an industry now, and that dude who may have been a farmer in the past could have been like the recent past, like past couple decades, right? Like that's life changing amounts of money like for what for what the cost of it was you know like he was making bank relatively it's easy here when you have every every possible advantage to be critical of people but if you're just trying to get by you gotta do what you you gotta do what you gotta do to get by so it's it's definitely like a tough argument to make but as a photographer you know it's just disappointing to to go over there and learn about that that as like a travel industry kind of standard. Yeah. For, I mean, I've seen those same pictures and for years I never knew they were staged. I had no idea. I was like, oh. yeah, sadly. And then um, our buddy Ty, who we also traveled with for a little bit, um, experienced something similar in Myanmar where he got up. Well, he got up for sunrise and then he went to a spot and there happened to be like a tour group already there. And they had a similar situation where they had locals on like fisher boats um, kind of posing for them. You, you've probably seen like in Myanmar, the, um, those boats with like the really long tails and like the fishermen with like the rice hats standing off the edge of them. Yeah, yeah. So oh, he yeah, was in yeah. that area and there was a, a group of tourists um, that were also photographers, you know, taking those photos with a tour guide. And they were blocking Thai and his friend from enjoying the sunrise and like getting pictures because they had, they had like quote unquote booked the spot and that they couldn't be there sort of thing. So it was like this, this huge ordeal for, for him. Like it kind of spoiled the experience from, from talking to him. Right. It's like, if it's, if it's in a public location as a photographer, you're allowed to take photos, but it sounds like, the crowd that was taking these staged photos was upset that these other people came to take photos unintentionally of the subject that was there. But coincidentally, the subject was there. So they may as well had taken a couple snaps. Um, And then the the group got like, it it seemed like they were more focused on stopping Ty and his friend from also experiencing the moment just because they had paid for it, which is, it's like, right. Yeah, I, I remember Ty, like, uh, I guess, blasting that experience on, like, just his story on Instagram, his Facebook messages, things like that. Like, the, the tour group, they were actively blocking him and shouting at him. I think they asked him to delete some of the photos that he had taken, like, really weird, almost, like, barbaric stuff, where it becomes a selfish moment rather than, like, a share-the-experience moment, which, as storytellers and, quote-unquote, tourism photographers of that group shame on that group honestly yeah they were completely focused on not it's like it's kind of like a it's like a childish mentality it's like stopping from someone else from enjoying something that i I guess like rightfully they did pay for it so they did have some right to like say something but you know to put their hands on his camera and stuff and to like bully him is like completely wrong I guess word got out and they wanted some of that $120,000 prize money. Right? <laughs> yeah, probably. 
I guess it's, it's all crazy. So you, you mentioned like as a photographer, right? What were you doing before you kind of stepped into the role of, of pursuing and becoming a full-time photographer? Uh, so I was, I was working at a, at like a nine to five, like standard office job. So I was, I used to work in finance for uh, a pretty large bank and I had studied finance in my undergrad. So I'd been doing that um, for seven and a half years. So all the way up until last summer. And yeah, it was, um, I had, I had gotten to a point where I was really unfulfilled by the work I was doing at the time. And I happened to had been, you know, developing my, my hobby of traveling and photography, which I think the photography piece developed because of my travels. I used to, I used to like backpack a lot and I, it, it got to a point where I was like, I really want to like bring these experiences home and share them with people, you know? I think that's pretty common amongst like a lot of photographers, but, um, but yeah, I got to a point where, you know, I started investing a little bit of, of, uh, my time into learning about the business of photography and, and doing some work on the side. Um, and it just so happened to work out where I left that job and, kind of with that with that void I was I was like you know what I guess this is what I'm doing now and what is it like 8 9 months later I'm I'm still doing it so but cool well you're approaching a year that's that's an excellent milestone and and I think a big misconception that a lot of aspiring photographers or videographers or creators have is that stepping into a full-time role is so much more than yeah. being a photographer, right? You're also doing project management, client relationships, scheduling, accounting. Like you're doing so many other roles that you didn't need to do as like a, a full-time professional working a finance job that you now are kind of required, responsible. Like this is your livelihood and there's so many different tasks that come with balancing that. What's that been like? And tell us a little bit about, I guess, the learning curve. Yeah, that's been super that. difficult, man. Um, I mean, I in the back of my head, I always knew that, you know, when you're working a salary job, your 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 take home pay is not your full salary, right? So, a lot of things when you're working in a in a you know for someone or, or in a corporation or something like that, um, you get a lot more benefits than your immediate tangible salary so nowadays i'm worried about like getting healthcare, uh making sure all my stuff is my my business like equipment is insured um actually this past week i've had kind of a lulling gig so i've been prepping my taxes you know like you have to you have to do all of that yourself. I mean, you could hire someone, but I, I I prefer to do it myself, especially since I was in finance before. Yeah, it would almost be kind of embarrassing to be like, eh, I'll just well, pay somebody else to do it. While you have like a, a background in in the medium, right? Finance, economics, and yeah. accounting kind. Of. I mean, it's it's not something that like I want to do, you know, but I have to. Um, 
I don't think anybody I don't wants to do taxes. Yeah, <laughs> any money. I want to make sure. I want to make sure that's settled. But uh, yeah, and then there's yeah. um, the whole, you know, like defining. You have to define your own structure now. So a big challenge for me is, like I said, like I wanted to get back into the gym and stuff. Like building a new routine. So I'm fully responsible for. Uh, my, my schedule, like the things that I do day to day, like now I'm at a point where I can, I can choose to, you know, get up and play video games all day if I wanted to, but that's not going to push my business any further. That's not going to help me grow as a photographer, as like an, I guess like a, a, an entrepreneur as well. Right. Like, yeah. Is, is that, is that Mario universe or, or what? No, are you, I was like, I was, playing? uh, I've been. I've been kind of on an Xbox kick. There's this game that came out called The Division that I've been uh, playing. Actually, it's set in Washington D.C. So, oh, that's the one where like the whole capital yeah, is under siege dope, or whatever. And you like weapons? Yeah. I'm not. I'm. I'm not a huge gamer, so I don't really know the titles uh, or, or anything. But no, sounds cool. sounds cool. <laughs> Especially like Mark's in D.C. right now. I lived there for six years. It'd be kind of cool to see. Uh, like what the visuals look like oh, when destroyed. everything is being destroyed. It's cool. I guess. I don't know. Oh, wait two years. <laughs> oh, That's man. another topic, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's not go down that road. Yeah. Not going to go down that road. Um, we'll keep it. We'll keep it. Yeah. On so the track. like to, to get back on track, I guess like, um, yeah, I'm fully responsible kind of for my own destiny now. Right. Like I, I, I think, you know, when I was younger, I, I had the tendency to, to like blame other circumstances. Like, oh, like I had a shitty manager. I, um, the project wasn't well defined or like, I'm, I'm not sure what was expected of me. Right. Like all of that stuff that occurs in a, in a normal, um, like corporate situation, it, I can't make excuses anymore, basically. Like I'm, I'm fully responsible. Like if this fails, then that's on me, you know? Does that yeah. not stress you out constantly? Dude, like it, on a regular it stresses basis? the hell out of me. Um, and it's definitely forced me to become a more, more diligent in like those areas, like scheduling, making sure I'm on top of my schedule, making sure, you know, I'm, I'm filling um, my schedule, like, now I try to target like a month ahead of time. So I'm always like, I'm emailing, I'm, I'm, um, I'm like reaching out to agencies, to people I've worked with in the past to be like, Hey, booking for, um, you know, like a month from now and stuff like that. So it is really stressful and I'm trying to find a way around, um, kind of this feast or famine, uh, way I'm operating right now. I think it's pretty common. Like I've, I've been reading a lot of articles and listening to a lot of conversations and it seems like it's a pretty common struggle for uh, most freelancers that are starting out. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a constant like game of just, just learning and growth and I, w I wouldn't trade it. You know, it is stressful, but um, it's given me a lot of purpose now. Whereas I felt like I was kind of just coasting and collecting a paycheck at my, my desk job, you know, it was very, very unfulfilling. 
an all too common feeling. I, I'm sure a lot of people yeah. empathize with that. Oh yeah. Um, especially too. I mean, uh, I remember you were still having fun, but a little stressed out when we were traveling around because you kept getting all these emails of client requests, like wanting you to do work with yeah. them uh, local in Chicago. And you kept having to like delegate the work to some of the people, the photographers that you commission under you or redo the shoot when you were back yeah. in town or things like that. I mean, there's definitely an opportunity cost when you can't really do it for fun anymore. Like, Oh, you're backpacking around and having a great time taking the shots and making the content that you want, but then you're missing out on the opportunity to be back in your local market and to deliver material yeah, to the clients like that are requesting sure it. Going broke sort of thing. Yeah. I kind of wish, I kind of wish like I had separated that when we were traveling because in the back of my head, like I knew that, you know, that that would end at a certain point and I would have to go back to like reality and, and it was stressing me out that I was getting those requests when I couldn't, handle them because i knew that maybe in a month those those wouldn't be there anymore so that that's why it was like like really stressful but it's where it it ended up working out so far cool yeah and i know you're, you're pretty well known in the local market now anyway and you kind of have been uh as as long as i've known you anyway do you want to talk a little bit about what it's like being a photographer in Chicago and, and what you do to kind of yeah, stay plugged um, in. You know, I do, I do a lot of community um, events and work through a, through a hub that I started called shy shooters. It's actually part of a, a larger global hub. Um, just like the shooters in general, they're in the UK, they're in LA and in the Bay area. And I'm pretty tight with all of the, all of the the people that are running those hubs in each city. It's just been like a, a cool thing to be a part of. And it's definitely helped um, helped me establish um, not only myself as a photographer locally, but um, it's just given me another thing to to give myself, you know, that fulfillment and purpose um, outside of, you know, what I do to make a living now which is, you know, put together these really dope community events for um, Chicago has like an amazing, amazing and, and super deeply talented community. Um, if you just like scroll through our page of like features, it's, it's like insane, the quality that people post. And that's not even all of it, right? Like we're only able to share so much. But um, through that, you know, I've been able to maintain connections with other local hubs there's there's quite a few in chicago um and so it really brings like a, a really nice collaborative aspect um to to like this whole it's kind of like another yeah like i said like just fulfilling activity um that allows us to connect with with others in chicago other like-minded people that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm always so impressed with the events that you guys put on, like the Chicago events. You've done like soirees and yeah. art galleries. And then you're kind of like regularly occurring meetups and everything, which are important. But I feel like it's difficult to facilitate a meetup and feel the success because a lot of people gauge a successful meetup by the amount of people that come rather than by the impact that you've made 
for the people that took time out of their day to be there. So I, I kind of see the impact as having the opportunity to learn, having the opportunity oh, yeah, to improve. Sure. And, and putting together these events is, has been another learning curve because, um, yeah, as you know, with, you know, you've probably, you've put together some Denver Create stuff. Event planning is actually a lot of work. And as, as we grow it each is. event, there's like more expectations, that sort of thing. Um, and budgeting kind of comes into play. And yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to have some great friends um, and guys that are running the team with me to, to help make these events possible. We just had a, yeah, we just had a gallery event. Absolutely. Uh, where, where we had over 90 pieces of art from, I don't know the exact number of artists. I think it was about 40 artists. And we had raised about two grand in art sales, um, which a majority of which went back straight back to the artists. So it's, it's like, um, it's, it's a really cool way to get the community engaged. That's awesome. And for everybody listening, I also run a local hub, a community in Denver called Denver Creates. And I'm trying to get it to Alex's level and Shy Shooter's level where we're actually hosting galleries, where we're hosting year-end parties, where we're having things that are larger than just like a meetup or a photo walk. Uh, for now, we're still growing and the community's grown a lot. I think the artistic community in Denver it's a little bit smaller than Chicago, than New York, but there's still a lot of talented people. And that's something that I've learned through kind of organizing a hashtag and, and seeing the kinds of content that people flow through the pipeline is people are really freaking good. And now like the barrier of entry to taking a powerful photo is so much lower than it was. A yeah, decade. it's insane, man. Especially with the cameras that are available. Like there's the... The barrier, yeah, like the barrier to entry is so low. And then I think with the, with like YouTube and like the tutorials are out, that are out there and there's a lot of like super talented people, um, you know, teaching and sharing knowledge. It's really easy to get in the game and become established really quickly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it is pretty crazy. Uh, it's something that I'm really glad over the past two and a half months, I've been able to kind of head out to Chicago uh, a lot. You know, I, I got to hang out with you, Alex. I picked your brain a bunch. I was able to explore the streets of Chicago and, and see all the cool looks. It's a really beautiful city. I'm actually very close to finishing a four-part Chicago photography guide, mapping out a couple uh, locations and a couple of the unique looks that the city has. But very, very lucky. It, it's very, very cool. Yeah, dope. I can't wait to see Shaw that. City. Actually, there's one more question, Alex, that I want to ask you before we wrap things up today. I got one more question myself. So, a couple more questions. Yay, coming more through, questions. Um, more fun. More questions, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So much fun on the Focal Collective podcast. What are some of your favorite client commissions and, and some of your favorite like projects that you've gotten to work on in your nine months approaching a year of, of being uh, this full-time professional photographer? Yeah, I get it. That's a good question. Cause I'm often um, like jumping from one thing to the next and I'm never really looking back. So this is a good chance to kind of like reflect on that for sure. Um, but my biggest, the biggest project I've been on so far was a, uh, a video project with Western Digital, 
And basically the brief was three separate videos, um, two products, one, a, a, this like portable drive called the Passport Go and a desktop drive called the, the MyBook. And they gave me both of those and challenged me to, to make, you know, just like a creative video. It was, it was kind of different from, um, a lot of the more, a lot of the projects that I'm working on now where I have a little bit more of direction and, you know, like a story board to follow. This was, they purely, they gave me purely like just all, all the creative freedom to like do what I wanted. And so like what I ended up doing um, was, you know, from those trips to Europe and Asia, I, I compiled a, a ton of footage and condensed them down to these uh, less than one minute videos. And, you know, it, it challenged me to learn video one because um, I had been doing a little bit of video, but not nothing like super in depth until then. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh crap, like I have this, this huge expectation over my head and, and I have to deliver for, for a pretty big client. And uh, long story short, you know, I, I cut that down. They were really happy with it. And I actually just closed that out, I think like within the last two weeks. Um, that, was, that was definitely the coolest project. Yeah, thanks. Congratulations. Um, That's awesome. Especially like I still consider myself like new to the to this like industry, you know, a project like that with like a brand like that behind it. Um, it was really cool. It was just like I was just like, well, when I got it, when I landed it, I was like, damn. Well, now I have to like deliver, you know, and. Exactly. And that's kind of the thing, too, is is it's very important to practice on the high velocity yeah. uh, clients. Right. So like if you're doing a real estate shoot, if you're doing a portrait shoot, if you're doing something that's kind of more run of the mill, it's OK to mess up and you can do a reshoot or, or whatever or, or just make it up to the client. If you mess up in the eyes of like a Western Digital or a Google or a Bose or anything, it's like that is more nerve wracking than like. Oh man, that that one real estate shoot didn't yeah. go so hot. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm don't gonna, get I'll me get wrong, it next like, time, you know. I've messed up a lot, you know, like like I said, like I still consider um where I'm at like the beginning. And yeah, like last summer, the summer before that when I was still doing it on the side. Yeah, I learned a lot of hard lessons. There's uh there was one situation <laughs> where I actually this was when I was on the road and and you mentioned that like I was trying to get other people to fill that work for me and like kind of like delegate it. Um, well, I learned that one, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be dishing off clients that want my work, which is, which is super flattering, but also like I should, I should have, um, I should have just said that like, I'm not available to do it instead of like trying to get someone else to fill that gap just to make a little bit of money because um, your reputation is everything in this world. Like, um, you're only as good as the people no, that, not that work it's like, beneath you. Like I said, right. like when at least when you're independently okay. freelancing, it's like <laughs> your your work is kind of your bond. Like that's that's what sells people on your vision and um, builds trust in that you can do the job. 
And if you try to get someone else, and I tried to get someone else that, that wasn't super experienced, um, super talented photographer, but not, not right for the job. Uh, and, and they sent me photos that were, were not going to make the cut. And I had to like go back to the client and be like, yeah, I actually had to tell them that like, I couldn't tell them, you know, the arrangement that I, I tried to make. Um, it was, it was more, I was like, yeah, you know, the photos didn't turn out and we ended up like the, the card got corrupted. I, I told them like something like that. And then, right. Like, oh, yeah, I lost the SD card. Yeah. Can so we like, schedule I, a reshoot? I ended up waiting until I got home to do the reshoot and then just did like the job right, you know? Well, at least it worked out. Seems like it was a low, yeah, a low risk sure. mistake. Like, right. I mean, the, there are workarounds yeah. where you can kind of fudge the truth a little bit. But then still follow up with honest work yeah. and, and things just kind of work out. Yeah, anyway. that's that's one of the things too is like you got to – you got to – like your self-confidence is huge, especially when you're putting out creative work because a lot of times that's that's like – it's very personal. So like finding a balance between meeting your client's expectations and still putting your personal stamp on it is like – that's on you. Like no one's going to be like, no one's going to tell you kind of what to do. You know, it's like, this is why they hired yeah, you. Exactly. It's, it's, they want your vision. So it's on you. It's powerful messaging yeah. for sure. You are hired to execute right. your vision. I, yeah. That's the whole point. So if you ever get people, if you ever delegate tasks to people, make sure that they fit your vision. Because I mean, that, that's what a production agency in essence is, is you have arms and legs and, and you can be the head and you can kind of coordinate different shoot executions yeah. and everything. But talented photographer or not doesn't necessarily translate to professionally oriented to uh, powerful client delivery yeah. in the right yeah, you definitely scenarios. Have to, to trust yourself, first and foremost. All right, I got one question and then we can wrap this up. No crocodiles in China? I don't. I'm, I've never heard of a Chinese crocodile. Yeah, they got them close by. I know Vietnam has crocodiles. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it wasn't there like somewhere in Indonesia, there was this island where. It was like a crocodile island. There was literally like. It wasn't just crocodile island, but it was also like. Is that Snake Island like, too? It was like island dwarfism took its effect on the local human population. So you had like a colony of very, very short people and a population of very, very large crocodiles or like Komodo dragons. It was, it was something like that where it was literally like you can go into the caves of this secluded Island and you'll see like chalk or like paint drawings in these caves from however many thousands of years ago. Of just like these dragon-looking beasts, like tearing apart the humans, is kind of savage. That sounds that sounds worse than the crocodiles. Well, first of all, where were these <laughs> right, yeah. before? We've been like talking about like serious <laughs> shit the whole time. I've been watching a lot of crocodile videos lately, and so you're talking about traveling around China. And I was just wondering, any of those rivers I saw in a lot of your photographs, I was just wondering if they got crocodiles in any of them. Yeah, one of uh, one of my friends who works full time out in Los Angeles. He's done a couple production shoots for like 
swamp monsters, river, river monsters, it's something like that. But it's a show that's filmed out in Florida. Swamp people, I don't remember, but it's like all they do is like do population control on the on the local crocodiles and they just Damn. go film people killing crocodiles. It's kind of savage. Yeah. Maybe we'll get them on one of the podcasts coming yeah, up. As far as I know, like segue, nothing right? lives in the rivers in China. So have you ever seen the giant catfish uh, over there? I know I've seen nah. pictures of those where they're like 40 I don't know, feet when long. I, when I'm, in China, I'm, I'm in more urban areas. Like, Oh man. Well, like when I was in like the Guilin area, oh. I wasn't really like near, I wasn't paying attention to like what was in the water. So I guess I got to send you some pictures of these catfish are they're insane. Yeah. Maybe we can include that in the notes below as well. Cause I, I've never seen it either. But we we can link to the giant catfish. We I meant like to, to all the stuff we're chatting about. <laughs> they have a lot of monkeys there. All the important stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's pretty so cool. in China? the Avatar Mountain area. It's called Jiajiangjie. The there's monkeys just wildly roaming around. And if you're not careful, um, yeah, if you're not careful, they'll snatch your bags. Like really? there was a couple times I went with like this tour group, um, which I don't recommend if you're like kind of like an independent traveler but anyways i got sucked into this thing and a couple of the ladies we were with had their bags uh they weren't like paying attention to them and they were kind of holding them loosely at their side and these these monkeys are aggressive as hell they'll like come up and just like literally just like nab their bags and run away with it and it's hilarious do you think they're do you think they were trained by people? Like they're running no, back to like someone that. with that purse? Uh, no, it's not, it's not like that. It's, it's like, like it's a they're mission. just hungry. <laughs> and they know that like for the most part, people have food in their bags. So they'll just jack your shit. It's, it's kind of oh. funny. Interesting. That's hilarious, but very scary to think about. I was backpacking through Japan back in 2016. And I went to... Uh, Jigo Kudani, it's like the the monkey park hot spring area where the monkeys just bathe in the hot springs. But naturally, you get a lot of tourists that like try to take selfies with the monkeys and stuff, just bathing in these like, you know, the Japanese macaques are just bathing in like the the onsen or, or the, the hot tub looking natural hot spring. But I actually watched one of these monkeys like take one of the tourists like phones and the tourist was like kind of on board with it. You're like, OK, you can play with the phone. And then the monkey like walked over to the hot tub and the tortoise is like, no, wait, don't go there. And then the monkey went into the like the hot oh. spring holding the phone and the phone just got soaked. It was like, yeah, that's why you don't let monkeys hold your phones yeah. or your backpacks or yeah, anything in, that you care about. In Japan, well, in Japan, a lot of the areas, they, they have like the monkeys consolidated in places. And so like these monkeys were a little different. These, like, these are just like wild monkeys roaming around in China. I feel like they were meaner. It's possible. Yeah, the, the monkeys in India are were definitely more aggressive than the monkeys in Japan. There should be a oh, yeah, I've seen on those this. ones in India. Monkeys in the world. Or just in India or just in China. Yeah. I mean, you, you, could, you could just or tell the whole story. Get, an, get a little uh, an audio bite <laughs> of Alex just saying, they'll jack your shit. <laughs> yeah, man. Put that in there. Easy. I think we just found the name of the episode right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. man, these things just name themselves. Damn, I want to like keep talking, but it sounds like uh, sounds like we're about on time. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back at some point on a future podcast. Uh, th- thanks a lot for joining. It's been really fun and insightful listening to you talk about your experiences and the scene in Chicago, your travel opportunities and pursuing yeah, and thanks, killing thanks it for full-time been, uh, professionally. Does this mean we have to say bye now? I think we already said bye. <laughs>